0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network.
1: Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. Uh, we're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at or call them again at 647-430-1263. 1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello fanboys and fangirls, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble, I am your host Aaron Broverman, and with me today is Keith Ratchow. Keith is a illustrator. He's been doing it for about 20 years. He does a comic called Saltwater, which is about a modern Mars colony, but they've been cut off from the Earth since, like, the 1960s. He also does uh, Plebeius Dreams. Uh, Plebeius Dreams is basically about, like, a sinister video game system, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind. It's sort of like a crazy, like, small-town horror type of comic. He's also an illustrator of children's books, the Up in the Sky series, with his mother Amy. Uh, I'm sure that's a really unique working relationship, so we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, Right now, I should tell you that we are on location at the Halibut House in Burlington, about to have uh, breakfast. So uh, if you hear the sounds of uh, cutlery and eating, don't mind it, because, uh, you know, it'll be fine. So anyway, Keith, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, this thanks. is the first time uh, we've been able to talk at length. Uh, yeah, I think I saw you at like a pint pints and, and pages. pages show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's where we first met. I'm gonna get into this the way that we always do. Um, you know, of course, we're, we're sponsored by Harry Tarantula, we uh, are on Facebook at Speech Bubble Pod, so all our fans can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and uh, follow our Instagram page at Speech Bubble Pod. But for you, my first question is, where did you grow up, and how did you first uh, get into comics as a fan?
0: I just wanted, before I get into that, I just want to say your introduction on me was awesome. Thank you. Like, uh, you actually uh, got everything spot on there, and uh, I actually have a lot to talk about in regards to the three uh, properties you mentioned. Nice. Uh, I do have some news on those. But to get to your uh, initial question here, I I grew up in the States. Um, I mean, I am Canadian, but I I grew up mainly in the States and uh, New Jersey, to be specific, uh, when I was a kid. Where were you initially? born? Montreal, Canada. Montreal. Okay. I've been drawing. I, when people ask me, like, where did you start drawing, or how long you've been drawing, my answer to that is basically that I think all kids kind of draw, and uh, at some point they get distracted by other things, like sports or friends or what what have you. Girls, I, yeah, girls. <laughs> Not to say I, that, that I wasn't distracted by girls, but uh, I, I just didn't stop drawing. Like I pretty much um, didn't do any sports or anything like that so I've just never stopped and even though I I technically have as you said in the introduction have been a graphic artist for over 20 years I actually had a, a break when I was 13 because my parents owned an advertising agency and uh, they were uh, in, in the mid 80s or early 80s to mid 80s, they had uh, cable was kind of spreading throughout the United States. And you had like the TV Guide type magazines popping up. And my parents actually created one of the first magazines for, for the Jersey Shore. Like a precursor to TV Guide? Yeah, pretty much. Regional, like a regional. Like a regional, yeah. And so they, they required advertising in there. Uh, and I. Learned about graphic design from that because the agency was located in the lower part of our house. Oh, okay. So I would, you know, walk downstairs and they would. I would be in the office and you know I'd see this is old school graphic design. This is where they'd actually have typesetters and you know the uh, Rubilith and you know cutting of, of uh, the actual articles into the to the paper and then taking pictures of that with a photostat machine and all that kind of stuff. I remember the chemical smell and I remember uh, the very basic uh, graphic design elements that were required and I think that kind of sparked an interest for me at least in regards to uh, graphic design because of that. And when I was 13 year, years old, my parents uh, let me actually draw a cover to one of their uh, one of the monthly issues. So that was my actual first professional work. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really professional looking, but that was the, the quote-unquote uh, first time I actually had a professional gig.
1: So since it was a regional TV guide, did they have to, like, like was the programming part of it done uh, away from the office? Like, did they have to sort of uh, outsource that? Or did they do that as well, where they would, like, create the listings and
0: things like that as well? The listings, I believe, were given to them by okay. the, the local TV, you the know, stations. Station. Yeah, I mean, they they more or less uh, collated, I guess, all that kind of uh, thing where they would have... it was actually more than a TV guide, though, because they, they had local news stories, uh, people would contribute, uh, you know, uh, poems or, or uh, art or things of that nature, so it was definitely, thank you, um, more than, than what would be, or I guess a TV guide does have that kind of thing yeah, in it as did well. Yeah, they do any
1: celebrity interviews?
0: maybe local celebrities, nobody, <laughs> Crazy Eddie, I don't know if, uh, actually I don't think they he did, they didn't, but Crazy Eddie is the only person I can think of locally right. that was a celebrity. Yeah. Um, right. That's cool. What was the cover that you did? Yeah. I feel like it was like a Hulk-like character reclining in a lazy chair on the beach. Um, I don't know why I chose the Hulk. I don't know why. I mean, the beach being the Jersey Shore, I guess that was the reasoning behind that. I think I've looked back at the drawing and cringed. I mean, it's just... I honestly don't even remember drawing it. So I I don't know. I can't say that uh, at that point I didn't use skills that I learned, but I can't remember really too much that went into it, other than I just I've seen the picture. Do you remember
1: uh, what the accompanying article was for that cover story? Like what the headline was or anything like I that.
0: Don't. That, that's I honestly I, my the part of parts of my childhood are kind of blurs. I remember things food related very well. Right. <laughs> I can tell you and like so I read a yeah right exactly. I remember this really well. Uh, when it comes to like some memories, I know that they've happened because people have told me, nice. uh, and then some things I remember. Because it's very specifically food related. Nice.
1: So you're like steeped in graphic design and you're like a big deal because you did a cover on a magazine when you were like 13. So, how did you marry that love of graphic design that your sort of parents uh, fomented in you uh, with like comics? How did you discover comic
0: books? Yeah, I've talked about this before, and I think, again, I'm not 100% sure what came first. I had a cousin who was older than me by three years, and he had a comic book collection. And I do remember going when when I would visit uh, my cousins in New York, uh, I would go through the collection. But then locally as well, you'd have like the 7-Eleven that have the spin racks and comic books would be on those. So at some point, either I, I was introduced to comics because my cousin had comic books and I'm like, oh, I want these. Or I'd seen them at the 7-Eleven, bought some, and then really uh, got more interested because my cousin had like such a large collection. And I was like, oh, I want to have a, a big collection like that. Uh, that being said, once I did get into it, and that was probably i'd say 989 in that vicinity um i i just i i was a voracious reader of comic books i once I, once i got into it i was like i wanted all of them and i remember going to all the the local convenience stores to see if I can get you know, a new comic book. And the, the difficult part back then was that there wasn't necessarily like a uh, comic book store to go to. It was more... So this was like pre-direct market? Well, there were some comic book shops, but they're just weren't as, as um, they were... You, to get to one, you'd have to go quite a distance. Oh, okay. And cool. um, I, I didn't even know that they really existed until I got a bit older. So my thing was... I would go to the, the convenience store and try to, like, make sure uh, I can get the next copy, uh, you know, G.I. Joe or Spider-Man or the X-Men, and if I couldn't, because they sold out already, I'd go to the next convenience store to see if I can find it, uh, or you'd go to, sometimes, like, Kmart, they would have those packet like, the, the packs of uh, comic books, and I would, you're not supposed to, but I would, like, open them up and see if I could find something I didn't have, and then, like, take it out and put and, like collate them into like you know like uh, into one stack of comics I really liked and put that in the bag and then close it up and you know act like that was the way it came. Nice, nice yeah. that's awesome.
1: <laughs> tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to like get to know like which convenience stores carried which comics and stuff like that? Like if you were into like Spider Man or X Men, how did you know like that this store,
0: you know would have the next issue of X Men, or would have X Men, or that kind of thing. I didn't. I, I honestly, I think, for a couple of years, I just kind of didn't have the whole. I would have a couple of issues where I didn't have uh, you know I'd, I'd miss it somehow um, but because of that you know desire to kind of have a complete collection I started looking elsewhere outside of convenience stores and uh, some somebody down the street actually had like runs of comics that they were selling for like nothing and I remember buying whole like uh, X-Men I don't know like 100 to something 120 or something like that And and that way I was able to actually fill in long runs um, and get some of these back issues. And at some point I must have discovered that I could actually find these back issues at like local conventions or uh, comic book shops.
1: Nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what runs were you collecting? What heroes were
0: you into? And why? Oh, uh, X-Men and Spider-Man. And G.I. Joe as well. Mainly, I think, both X-Men and Spider-Man. Peter Parker, uh, what I loved about him was that Amen. Yeah. Despite all of the things that were going wrong in his personal life as Spider-Man, uh, he would always do the right thing, uh, even if it, it meant that Peter Parker would get punished for it. And I just thought that was awesome, that that was like, you know, something that I could live up to is, is to try to be a better person, even even if it meant that I wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't be the best thing for me, but you know, like it, it, it would be something that would make me feel like I'm doing something better for people. Um, and X Men, I think, they had a similar flavor as well, where where is diversity and uh, the underdog winning? And I always felt like, you know, I was like the short, fat kid. That uh, I mean, I had friends, and but as I said earlier, like I would just draw all the time, so I I was definitely not like. Um, Definitely not popular. So um, I think that um, being a little bit shy, a little bit um, uh, not seen around because I wasn't in sports and stuff like that, I always felt a little bit like the outcast. So X Men kind of made me feel like I belonged.
1: You didn't go to parties or anything or that kind of thing? Me? Well, I mean.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, well. Awesome. Awesome, yeah. Hope you're hungry. <laughs>
0: I have you some Tabasco or whatever. Yeah, you have. I have Frank's
1: or Sriracha.
0: Uh, Frank's. Frank's. Okay, yeah, have Frank's. Um I don't know. I mean I, I just think I think I went to birthday parties if that if that's what we mean by parties, but um you didn't like hang out in like high school and like go to house
1: parties or those sorts of things?
0: nah probably no. not. Yeah. I mean yeah. or or you know you would, if you if you'd try to find them and right. and kind of like sneak in and hope not to get beat up for it. Right? Yeah yeah. No.
1: Like I I was definitely an indoor kid too so I definitely related to that like having a disability like you don't I mean we had adapted sports and you had your like weekly like physiotherapy appointments and stuff but like mostly I was just into stuff that like people did indoors, like yeah. reading and drawing and that kind of thing. I mean, the reason I didn't continue drawing was because uh, my my brother started to be better than me, and I realized oh. that I wasn't as good
0: an artist as I as I thought that I was. Yeah, that's yeah. But that, I mean. I, do you see, Do you realize now that like that that didn't really matter? I mean, right?
1: I could have like basically I could have gone to school for it and like been fine and had like training or whatever. But I I gravitated more towards writing eventually, yeah, right? Fair enough. So you know, it was still creative. Uh, my brother is a animator to this day. So oh, is he? Still okay, into, so he did something with it. He's still into it. like uh, visual effects and stuff like that. Right, and, but like on the computer and stuff. So uh, yeah, so that was interesting. But like, so you're you're doing the Spider-Man thing. You're doing the like GI Joe thing. What, like in comics, around what time is this? Like what stories
0: are happening that you're collecting? Um, so this is. Probably around, like, early to mid-80s. Or Well, G.I. Joe, one of the reasons why I was into G.I. Joe was because it was one of the first times that you'd actually have a cartoon connected with all this merchandise, like the right. figures and, and comic books. So, it, you know, the cartoon came out in, the, like, 84, somewhere around there, and I think... Um, you know, I was—I fell in love with that, and I was like, "Well, I've got to get everything related to GI Joe." So I bought all the figures, and then, by extension, I bought the comic books. I think I was probably more enamored with the figures than the comics, only for the fact that I was actually able to like create the worlds uh, with the figures, uh, and and by extension, I would actually. Draw my own figures, cut them out, and then you know, add them to my collection. So, yeah, like I did that with a lot of. I think that um, I liked the idea of world building, Um, you know, definitely at a young age where I was, uh, you know, able to draw something, cut it out, and then you know, play with it, and then imagine something new, and then you know, draw that and cut it out, and then so usually be G.I. Joe's, but sometimes it would be like new X-Men or things like that Um, and that may have been um, also kind of a precursor to me getting into comic books although I did draw my own comics when I was younger too Um, but uh, to get back to your question I remember I think this was pre-Mutant Massacre so I think I got into like uh, when for the X-Men it was when Rachel uh, from she became Phoenix for a bit like uh, Rachel Summers yeah Rachel Summers Yeah, like uh, I think that was around uh, John Romita Jr. jumping on for the first time. So that may have been like the late two 60s, 70s, somewhere around there. Yeah. And I also, as I said, uh, that got that long run of X-Men from that guy down the street. So um, I'm not sure if I... I know I was reading the earlier issues uh, prior to starting to collect uh, the newer ones um, on, a, on a monthly basis. Right. But I do remember it was somewhere around... 180s, 180, uh, 190s, somewhere around there is I think when I started actually getting my own um, and then Spider-Man I th- think wasn't too far uh, it may have been right before Todd McFarlane took over so I do have like issue number 300 uh, which is, is one of the more popular you know issues of, yeah. of
1: McFarlane uh, first appearance of Venom right mm-hmm. yeah I have that too I bought it way later yeah but uh, like very recently actually mm-hmm. uh, but um Yeah, that's definitely a classic issue, for sure. Um, yeah, and at the time, like, in the, I think, like, mid to late 80s was when McFarlane was doing, uh, Spider-Man, right? Yeah. The whole Torment storyline and stuff. So
0: I got, I think I'd gotten into Spider-Man a bit before that, but I don't remember specifically the issue. Yeah.
1: So what do you like about comics as, as a medium? What do you like about, like, the idea of, like, the marriage of, um, you know, words
0: and pictures and stuff like that? Well, as I said before I like the idea of world building and storytelling um, and I think when I when I was a kid I created my own comic books but I think what was more interesting to me was almost like when I could live it so creating my own characters cutting them out and, and like playing with them um, that really excited me that like creating storylines these epic storylines of you know I mean this is this is a six seven eight year old kids you know uh, fantasy of, of armies fighting each other and right. you know one side winning and the other side you know retreating and then coming back and and worlds that were created uh, that didn't exist in, in, in real time using your backyard or your basement and you know like the, the uh, carpet this is in the 80s so the carpet covered poles would be like you know weird kinds of uh, aspects to this world you created and uh, I don't know I just using whatever was around me um and i think that uh that really kept my imagination uh going much longer than it would have um if if i again i wasn't I, i wasn't distracted by like sports and things like that so um if if uh i my imagination for this kind of stuff just kept on getting stronger and stronger and i think at some point I decided uh, you know what I love comic books I think that I should probably consider drawing them yeah right? for a living yeah so, well I don't know about for a living but just to do more of them to, right. do, to create create them so you're in
1: high school whatever where did you go to school what did you do for after high school for like uh,
0: graduation and career and stuff um I I I kind of lost a little bit of interest in in comic books, I think, in high school. You know, girls, right? Um, And and becoming, having, like, uh, friends that, you know, you'd want to hang out with all the time. Although we we did draw together, come up with, like, D&D characters and things like that. Um, So, like, you might have gotten out of comics, but you never got out of drawing. Right, exactly, exactly. Or maybe the better way to put it is I kind of felt at some point that comics was, like, a, a guilty pleasure. I was a bit old, too old to be reading them especially if I wanted a girlfriend, right? That kind of thing. Uh, This is a time when comics wasn't quite considered as popular as it is today. So I did um, hide it a little bit more, I think, once I became a teen. Um, But that's also when I discovered comic book conventions as well. So um, it was kind of a, while I didn't... In high school, as you mentioned, to you know you had a brother that drew really well. There was this kid, Tom Madigan, that was like just amazing, and I'd watch him draw, and be like I can't draw like that. Why do I even want to consider drawing that kind of um, idea? So I, I may have gotten a bit dis- um, discouraged in high school as well, um, and lost a little bit of the the focus to do comics or even imagine that I would be an artist as living. But you were still going to convention things, right? Yeah, I started. I was going to like a New York Comic Con, or I would go to. The, I, I'm almost positive it must be the this, this store that Kevin Smith ran when he was um, living in Red Bank. It was the only one in that area in the '80s, so I went there um, quite frequently prior to him owning his own store, The mm. Secret Staff. Oh well, yeah, yeah. This is this is um, probably when he was a. a Aspiring filmmaker, you know, uh, in the late 80s early 90s, right? Wow, cool um, Yeah, so I You might have met Kevin Smith and not even known it. That's what's one of those things I've always I've always wanted to ask him if he actually worked there at that time, but so when I when I actually uh, Lost the focus for two or three years and then Uh, When I I moved my senior year of high school to Florida, uh, and I was actually quite happy to do it because I was not happy uh, living in in New Jersey at that time. And when I moved down to Florida, everything kind of changed for me. Um, And that's when I decided, I mean, it's the last year of school and I'm kind of going, what am I going to do? I still love drawing. Do I want to see if I can get into an art school, or uh, at least get into a school where I can, you know, focus in art? And that's what I ended up doing. So I wish I had been a little bit more on the ball um, earlier. But uh, my last year of school, I was pretty much putting together a portfolio and getting myself prepared for, uh, you know, what I would do after uh, school year.
1: Right, and you said that everything changed for you. What changed? Like, what did you not like about living in New Jersey? And like, what changed that final year of high school? A mm. couple different things, I think.
0: Part part of it was, um, I, I. You know, it was going through puberty. I actually lost some of the, the baby fat. I was exercising a bit more. Um, my friends...
1: Everything okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good.
0: Uh, the friends that I was with were huge into to weightlifting. So I, I, by extension, I was I was working out a lot more. Nice, so you um, really yoked back then. Oh, I mean, I was... They, these guys were like six foot something, and they were like completely... Like the one guy now, if you were to look at him, he's this guy, John. He's like a bodybuilder professionally now. Like, the, you know... Like, uh, we all were huge into that kind of thing. So. It was like gym Tan Laundry at the, at the time, right? What's that? It was like Jersey Shore, like gym mm. Tan Laundry. <laughs> I know. Like, I mean, there was definitely that kind of uh, 24-hour gyms where, you know, the guys in there, all they did was pump iron, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, there was that aspect. And then moving down um, to a place where nobody knew me, um, really you can be who you, whoever you wanted to be and i decided to embrace my artistic side a little bit more and not you know i, I was fine letting people know i loved comic books and, and i was into art and stuff and, and i think um that embracing of, of who i really was and as well as feeling better about myself um uh, really helps um I, I I just became popular. It was it was weird. It just I, people knew who I was, and I had no clue at first. I thought it was a joke that they're like, "Hey, Kate, how you doing?" I'm like, "Are they gonna do something to me?" Yeah. You know, and then and then you no, know, they just they just I was a new kid. I was that was cool, yeah. and so the last year of high school was awesome. It was it was uh, so I was able to kind of be who I wanted to be and. Um, that that reignited my my passion for getting into at least illustration so where did you
1: end up where did you move on to
0: uh, I went to um, a school called Florida Atlantic University cool. and doing art um, well yeah initially, so I, I I didn't directly go into what I wanted to, to do which was illustration. I still had a bit of a hang up that getting into comic books or being an illustrator wasn't as practical as, as I thought. You know, I didn't think I'd be able to get jobs doing it. And and because I'd had that experience as a graphic design uh, graphic designer or at least understanding what graphic design was because of my, my parents' ad ad agency. Um, I decided to do um, fine arts uh, at this school, and then have a. uh, It was basically a focus in graphic design, so that way I'd have I'd be able to get some jobs, um, either in school or right outside of school. Because at that time, graphic design was like booming. People were, it it, it was very easy to get jobs doing that. So, um, actually, within a year or two of being in. Uh, At FAU, I actually got my first pro gig, consistent pro gig, uh, working at a a company that that uh, did animation for. software companies and I did I didn't do the animation per se but I I cleaned up some of the frames and that's how I learned Photoshop Uh, there wasn't a lot of work for me to do They they just needed somebody to kind of do clean up at at times so a lot of a lot of times I was just like reading Photoshop books and and learning the program so that I was you know ready and uh, it was kind of cool to to get paid to do that and I actually I absolutely fell in love with Photoshop at that time, and um, I haven't stopped using it since.
1: I mean, is, so, so you're doing that and stuff. How did you start in the indie comic scene? Like, what, where, how did you decide I want to make my own comics? I want to do my own stuff. Like, when did that come
0: into play? Years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I still had aspirations to get into to become a Marvel comic book artist. Yeah, I wasn't really reading DC comics until I actually hadn't started reading DC uh, until maybe the late 90s. Um, But I was always fantasized about being a Marvel comic book artist. I even did the... um, I think uh, it was a Joe Kubert school uh, had uh, a, a, a correspondence class where you can pay to to get his books and um, contact him for like assignments and stuff even if he didn't go to, so in New Jersey Joe Kubert school yeah. uh, wasn't that far uh, from where I used to live, that's how I knew about it, but when I moved to Florida I was like, well I didn't take the opportunity to try to get into the school then, but now I'm, I'm definitely interested in doing comic book work, little, so maybe I should to do this correspondence class. And, Did you do it? Yeah, I mean I didn't I didn't I really I, I I still for for a long time kind of had my foot one foot in, one foot out. I even though I had embraced being a comic book artist a bit more, I was still kind of like, I, I think more out of fear than anything. I was kind of like,, oh. you know, graphic design was paying the bills. I was I was getting I was doing some concept artwork, so I was doing some illustration, but I just felt like getting into comic books I wasn't good enough and I was kind of lazy at the time. At this time I was I was actually a little bit distracted with with life um, you know uh, college and things like that so, Um, While I was working as a graphic designer, um, off and on, uh, freelance uh, mainly, um, the comic book thing I don't know I just I just never I I didn't fully embrace doing. it I didn't really I knew what it took to get into it and I wasn't willing to to do it which was you have to like completely commit and so I would play around with oh I'm going to do comic books I would draw some you know story ideas and then I would get distracted Um, but this probably happened for about four or five years until um, the early 2000s so I actually got Got a job um, working at a toy company around nineteen around two thousand actually, okay. and that job was really really hard, uh, but it was really rewarding. And I think I started to really learn discipline of what it took to be an artist at that job. Were you? Is that when you were doing like the Edge of the Dragon stuff yep, and the yep. Bruce Lee stuff? Yep, yep
1: exactly. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but like Keith, he <laughs> worked for a division of Jack Specific, which does like the WWE toys. They used to have that contract. I don't know if they have it anymore. But uh, he did some toys related to Bruce Lee and stuff. Yeah. Or
0: designed for those, those toys. Please. Yeah. And I, I, I... So I was doing package design, but I was actually... The, I would see the, the sketches of the actual toys, the, the Enter the Dragon figures, um, as they were trying to figure out, like, what they would look like. And these guys are just, like, awesome artists, and that kind of got me thinking, I should really, you know, what if I really want to be an illustrator? I, you know, I don't want to just. If I'm going to do this, I should just be an illustrator. I didn't want to be, you know, like graphic designer that did illustrations sometimes. Somewhere around that time, I decided that, you know, I, I needed to to really focus on it and. Um, I had an opportunity. I was I'd worked there for a couple of years, and then I had an opportunity to move back to Canada, uh, and I decided to take it. Even though I liked the job, but uh, I kind of felt like sometimes a really drastic change is good for you, right? And so I decided to just go for it. And when I moved, I would also fully embrace doing comic books again. Right. And I actually, when I moved to, to Toronto, it was the first time I went to uh, Fan Expo. Nice. And I, I met uh, uh, some, you know, I was showing my portfolio around. Uh, I met some comic book people and then... Marvel and DC? Or like, showing your portfolio to them? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show my por- por- portfolio to, to them. You know, I, I, I was basically, I was like, I, I'm gonna do this I'm just gonna do this and then I joined a comic book club where I met Sam Agro and Marvin Law and from there um, Marvin introduced me to the Bright Anvil guys and I I first was taking lessons there and then I was also asked to be uh, like a member of the studio and so I I started to to really um, get more and more focused into the comic book aspect at that point the uh, comic book club actually did an anthology and I did a a couple stories with Sam and that's probably my first indie work. That's awesome. Guys if you want to learn more
1: about Bright Anvil and uh, that story in that studio where uh, people like Adrian Alfona, uh, co creator of Runaways and Miss Marvel, ended up in the early days of his career. Uh, listen to our episode with Marvin Law and Sam Noir. Just go back to our archives on Never Network.com and you can learn all about Bright Anvil. So you contributed to their anthology, yeah, and that was like your first
0: indie work. Um, Indie Printed indie work, yeah. Nice, nice. Was that well-received, or...? I mean, it was more or less just for us. It wasn't right. anything. We had a... I think we had a table at Fan Expo, but uh, even though I was much more into it, um, I still had some hesitations. I, I think I was, I was still kind of afraid uh, to, to do it, but um, I was there uh, in Toronto for a couple years then I met my um, uh, my wife and she wanted to to travel around the world and so I I had an opportunity I'm like well I can either stay here and continue to to do comic book work with Bright Anvil or I can I can still draw but travel the world and I you know wanted to, to be with Gen. Uh, so uh, I decided you know to, to do the travel part and so I actually lived in Japan for almost uh, three years that's awesome. and that's actually really where um, I would say the comic books that you you were talking about earlier today uh, came from
1: you're listening to speech bubble we'll be right back this episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. Kind of is a weird intersection because I'm looking to go to Japan some too. Oh, okay. So, for the first time, uh, I'm a little bit apprehensive about it in terms of like the language and that sort of stuff. But I really like, you know, like manga and getting into that kind of stuff. but like the weird subcultures of Japan, and I like the food there and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about your time in Japan and how your comic
0: work that you do now uh, first came to you then. Well. I, I had, because I had given up the opportunity. Brian Anvil was going to take like um, a bunch of us uh, guys that were at the studio, and they're going to do like a, a graphic novel, right. and. I was really torn. Should I stay and work on it? And yet, this opportunity to potentially, I think they were going to present it at like San Diego Comic Con.
1: Well, and if I remember correctly, what Marvin told me was like Brain Anvil, like some of the guys had gotten work
0: off of Brain Anvil. Like yeah. Adrian and I think Valentin Delandro was there for a bit. And stuff. Mike Delmundo was there. Uh, yeah, like I was there when, when I actually, just as a little side story, when you're talking about uh, Adrian Nalfana, um, I was there when he first got the gig. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there when he, like, he obviously got the gig prior to that, but he was uh, at the studio drawing these characters and going, that's really good. What, what is this for? And he's like, oh, I just got this this job at Marvel. I can't really tell you too much about what's going on, but this, the book's called Runaways. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So I'm actually watching him draw, like, uh, I think one of the parents or something, and yeah. I just, just, you know, uh, didn't realize at that time where Runaways was going to go, you know, just in regards to popularity and, right. um, uh, in his career, but I definitely was aware at that time that this guy was really good and that uh, he was, you know, he was going to be working at Marvel or wherever he wanted. Uh, right.
1: Like some people did get gigs mm-hmm. from Marvel uh, off of working at Bright Anvil. Yeah. You weren't one of those guys or were you close to being one of
0: those no, guys? No, no, I was not. I was My work wasn't at that level, but... I don't know if that was even my thought process. It was more that they were gonna get the guys that were in the studio. Like Mike Del Mundo and me, uh, Marvin, and they were going to put a graphic novel together, and I just thought that would be a great opportunity for me to potentially meet people in the industry, and all. I don't know. I, yeah. It was. I just felt like it would be a good opportunity, but then going to Japan came around, and I was just so I was kind of torn about it. But I, ultimately, I decided. I'm like, well, you know what? This I, I, I'm a firm believer that that experience in life. Will, will help feed your your passions and um, make make you a better person at the end of the day and right. so I I as a tough a decision as it was I was like you know what I'm going to do this Japan thing um, but I, I I wanted because I didn't want to lose uh, working on comic books I was like I'm going to just I'm going to work on them there yeah. right? I'm going to draw as much as I can I'm going to work on comics uh, my, my own things and, um, and and just make a go of it while I was in Japan and maybe you could like hook up with like a manga studio or something like that, or something like that too right? I don't know if I thought that I just really Manga is not. I don't really draw in that style, so I didn't even think think along right. those lines. But no, I just thought that like I I was like, well, I can do this anywhere. Like I could be a comic book artist anywhere in the world. It didn't require me to to have to be in a studio with other artists and so um and there's actually i I'd, I'd heard of comic book artists that worked for marvel um that actually were living in other countries like japan like you know like, right. uh, working abroad so i figured i could do it and i committed myself while i was there i'm like this is the time I'm not going to mess around now. I'm really I'm gonna take the lessons I've learned at Bright Anvil, and uh, I'd done some Con Ed classes as well prior to uh, uh, Leaving for Japan, and I was like I'm gonna just really try to get as good as I could and, and I was going to see if I can get into comic books Um, while I was there and so um, I actually Bob McLeod has um, uh, another correspondence class and I applied to that and and, and got in and so he critiqued my work and that was invaluable and uh, while I was um, I I worked for a uh, English language conversation company called Nova it was it was a multimedia class uh, that these students would take which meant that I didn't actually uh, work in a school I worked uh, video-to-video conferencing from an office, okay. so I could I could teach. Uh, any age uh, from any location within Japan um, and that the other benefit to that was they could only see me from the from the chest up so from the chest down I was drawing the whole time I was drawing their faces or I would just you know zone out a little bit so I wasn't the best teacher but I it was it was one of those things where it was conversation really um, and so as I was people saw me drawing all the time and I really wasn't in, in any kind of I didn't want to be distracted so I, I told my wife I'm like I'm going to be totally antisocial just so you know it's not that I'm I'm, I'm being rude to people on um, I'm just wanting to draw like I just want to be left alone to draw and she knew that so she kind of took the, the mantle of being social for the both of us uh, but I would really just draw whenever I could and and draw with the intention of doing in comic books. And that's when I met Mitch Cook. So he's he's the writer on uh, Saltwater. Okay. Um, but we had another idea. Uh, initially. You met him in Japan. I met him in Japan. Okay. So how did that work out? So initially again as I said I was trying to I was trying to focus on on just doing my stuff and this guy <laughs> Mitch who's a friendly guy but he kept on bugging me. Like he he'd go look over my shoulder go. You're pretty good there like uh what, you know what what are, are you into comic books, and am like, yeah, yeah, but leave me alone, right? And then he would he would come back later and go, yeah, I've i been to comics too. I'm like, okay, that's great, but I'm I'm really just focusing on what I'm doing. Where here. did you meet him? He worked at the at the uh, Nova, Nova as well. Okay. Yeah. So he kept on bugging me, and sens- eventually, so this guy was like in the office. Yeah. Well, okay. he was he was a fellow teacher, uh, but we had like a, a break room where everybody kind of congregated between lessons, right where uh, oftentimes lessons would be canceled. Okay. So you would have, like, stretches of time where all you would do is be in this break room and people would be talking and, and, and socializing and I'd be drawing, right? Right? And I think that, um, you know, again, uh, people would want to know what I was doing and I'd kind of, like, brush them off. I didn't want to have a conversation. But Mitch kept on coming back and finally he's like, hey, I have an idea for a comic. Do you want to draw it with me? And I'm like, oh, God, you're not going to leave me alone, are you? And uh, I'm like, okay, fine. Pitch me your, your idea. And he did. And I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty good. What was the pitch? So this is kind of prior to, like, when uh, the vampire thing was, like, really popular. Uh, so you had, like, the Twilight and all that stuff was became, like, a huge hit. This is prior to that. So we were like, oh, let's do, like, a vampire uh, and his time through, like, uh, you know, he's, like, this really old vampire. And essentially uh, we're, we're witnessing him in one particular time in his life and it was in uh, the Old West uh, and it was going to be called the badge and uh, we just thought it'd be great to be able to take you know a mix of the old West with you know this uh, immortal guy who doesn't necessarily kill uh, good you know good people he kills bad anyway we had this big epic idea for him because we we're like oh we can then show him later on in, in life and, and during Vietnam and blah blah, blah. Yeah. and then we we're like oh but where did he come from was he the first vampire so then we had this guy called the Savior who who uh, you know we were like let's do a prequel so we had like this big epic thing and we were actually doing. We were drawing I was drawing pages uh, sequentials not knowing what I was really doing um, but it was a lot of fun and it, it I really I guess what what I got from that period was uh, I was doing comic books uh, again um, and I was really uh, I was learning how to, to work with a, a writer um, and um, I also realized that at that time like I was not very good at it at all because uh, I, as I said I had done the Bob McLeod correspondence and he's he's a good teacher, but he's very he's he's Constructively critical and he's like, okay, you need to work on this this this, and this so it was all these things are like, okay I'm just not good enough at this like I really need to Do something get myself to a level where I, I feel competent in what I'm doing So what'd you do so the last year of living in Japan? I think I had started talking to my wife about what life was going to be like when we got back home, and I was thinking, maybe I should go back to school. I'd always wanted to go to a school for illustration, and I never quite did that. I just, as I had said, I went to FAU, and they weren't really an art school. They were more of just like a, a community, not a community college, but they were more focused on like ocean engineering, and so the whole art program was okay, but it wasn't, I never felt like I was being challenged at that school Um, and I really really wanted I had a little taste of it when I moved to Toronto where I joined the Bright Anvil studio and I did some like Con Ed classes but I wasn't really I wanted the full experience so that last year I was looking into schools I can go to back in Toronto and I started putting a portfolio together and submitted to a school called Max the Mud and got in I know Maxima yeah. quite well. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you go or? No, no. Um,
1: there was a moment where uh, I met with uh, the head people there mm-hmm. to maybe sponsor this podcast. Okay. So I, I got the tour. I got the studio tour and stuff, and you know we've had. Uh, Megan Carter on yep. and she teaches there so so I, I'm f- familiar with Mac I see them at conventions all the time and stuff. So you got
0: in how was that? Actually Megan was in my class okay. um, it was it was really I felt like a kid again honestly. I felt like you know like even though I was probably one of the oldest students there I was just like this is what I've always wanted to do and um, you know I mean I was already kind of in that mindset because in Japan, as I said, I was drawing all the time this was even more intense so, you know, it, it was that the first year's all about basics and I got everything out of it that I really, really wanted to get um, life drawing and perspective and all that kind of stuff and so by the end of that first year I was like, okay, I'm getting I'm understanding a lot more of what I need to be doing and um, you know, uh, how I, how I could um, get into comic books because it was they had the three different programs and mine was the sequential program so it was me that's where I met like Dave Ross and Richard Pace uh, Kent Burrells Ty Templeton so I was, I was actually getting a very intimate uh, comic book uh, experience learning from these guys uh, about the world of comic books as well as, as uh, the structure I needed uh, as an illustrator.
1: And a lot of those guys except for Ty are still teaching there. Like, not not Richard Pace either. Not oh and not Richard Pace. But like Kent Burls and, and those people I yeah, think Dave they're Rowe. still teaching Yeah, yep. Dave Ross. Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you you got like a really intensive like boot camp style mm-hmm. uh, you know comic thing. Yep. At the end of it, how did you feel? Were you like I'm gonna
0: attack the world, like I have the skills now? Like what was the mindset? So I didn't actually do the full three years. I, I midway through the second year, um, I decided that I was I was kind of the, while I was learning uh, more specifically about like inking and, and um, comic book storytelling and things like that. Uh, I was kind of getting the sense that I I uh, maybe was reaching the end with them, um, and so I, I decided it was expensive school, and I you know uh, was starting to to worry about like where the money was going to come from to keep on doing it as well. So, you know, I ultimately decided I think I'd gotten what I could out of it. I I very much, that first year was awesome and the second year, you know, there was some things that I was getting out of it and some things I wasn't. So um, I decided to leave and while there, one of my teachers, um, she had known that I'd been, uh, in my past life, I'd been a graphic designer. So I had a fairly good work, work ethic because of it and so she was aware of that and she said well I, I if you if you're looking for wo- if you're leaving the school and you're looking for work I may be able to get you a job and she, so she actually got me a job working at Yowza Animation uh, on, on those Disney movies cool yeah like uh, Princess and the Frog and things like that yeah I did Princess and the Frog and Winnie the Pooh yeah, that's awesome. so, yeah it was it was a so at that time I had also opened up a studio with my wife. Uh, we she is a photographer and so we, we opened up a, a photography studio in Toronto and had to be in the office if she was out doing, you know, um, jobs and things like that. So I was able to draw while I was in the office, answer phones, meet with clients, and and then I was also doing the animation thing uh, for Yowza. So in that time, I actually uh, freelance. For I was Yowza. Uh, yeah, freelancing for Yowza. Okay. It was six month uh, contracts, um, so and it was full time. So between those contracts, I'd be at my my studio drawing so in that time I was actually after I left um, school I was I was like I'm gonna be a freelance artist that's it I'm going back into this and um, kind of haven't looked back since that's Um, awesome yeah
1: so tell me a little bit about um, you know the comments you're doing let's let's pick up with you and Mitch on on saltwater how did you guys come together again? Like, as far as we know in this conversation, he's still in Japan.
0: No, he had, uh, he left after a year. I was there a bit longer than him. Um, we reconnected, I mean, we hadn't lost touch, but... I went to school for that year and a half to two years, and we I think we were I think we we um, were trying to still pitch uh, the badge, and um, uh, I think we even went to Chicago Wizard World 2008 I believe um, or 2009 somewhere around there to see if we can like get work again. I didn't know what I was doing. I I had a better idea of what I was doing, but I didn't completely understand what I was doing. And so Mitch and I were like at least at the point where we're pitching together our idea and and you get kind of like looks of, well, we can't do anything with this. Do it on your own. That kind of thing. And I think that's kind of where we're like, okay, we're, why aren't we doing this on our own? Why aren't we just doing our, why don't we just do this? And that's where I, I think at that point where I started shifting from trying to break into Marvel and DC, because it, honestly, it's still, I'm, I, I was, you know, the criticism that we were getting while helpful was, you guys, this is indie stuff. Marvel is really more mainstream. Your style isn't quite fit with the, the mainstream and so I think we both not wanting to get discouraged from doing it realized well maybe the better thing to do is just do this on our own and then maybe down the line we'll break in you know because of the comics we create right and so I think around 2010 we, we took a whack at uh, the, the comic book that was prior to saltwater which is con- called concrete martians okay so around 2010 we decided to drop uh, the badge which it was just too big It was too big an idea we wanted something a little bit more intimate and Mitch had read he had been working at a, a radio station in Seattle called Como uh, radio and in their in their uh, voyeur uh, the vestibule area uh, there is like a um, all these articles pasted on the wall, and he saw this one about a uh, story that took place during the War of the Worlds radio broadcast okay. in 1938, a town called Concrete in Washington State was listening like much of the rest of the United States, and they had a power outage right before they went to disclaimer. So. For all intents and purposes, they thought it was real. Wow! It was just a short little article, and Mitch is like, "Oh, I wonder what what really happened." Like, it just doesn't really fill in all this the story that that took place. Is like, why don't we do a comic book from this and that? And then he pitched me on it. He's like, "Would you be interested?" It wouldn't be that long, and this way we can like kind of. Uh, Get used to what it would be like to create a comic on a smaller scale, and I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. And so, did he
1: like research what happened in that town? Oh yeah, like he
0: he went, he met like uh, he went to the the Concrete Herald, who wrote the paper. He met the editor in chief, who who actually is now. He he became the mayor of the town, so he he did his he did his research. Mitch is, if anything, he's uh, he um, definitely reads up on all this kind of stuff.
1: So it was like kind of like comic book journalism, like it was sort of the, like a Joe Sacco type stuff where like it's about like your actual research like he Ooh. was doing investigative
0: reporting <laughs> yeah this comic yeah pretty much yeah and I was like I'm like this is really cool let's make this like a four issue series he's like nope it's not four issues I'm like but we can do he's like no, nope, it's gonna be this is how it's gonna be two issues and that's it there's not gonna be anything else I'm like but don't you want to know it? he's like nope this is what the story is I'm like okay this is what the story I, like I wanted to make it epic again and he was like reining me in and so which is good. It was, yeah. yeah, it was very good, because the reality of, of we did, um, I think we did about 15 pages, and I, I was just like, I, I'd love to do this, but like, I, it's just financially I can't like I like I, I'm getting work uh, as I said to you I was working in my studio or I was working for for Yowza and so to be able to do something like this uh, really required me to uh, the way I work I like to be able to, to, to really focus on that project um, and I was just not able to it was just I would constantly get, yeah I was getting distracted by working I was getting work as, a, as an artist but I was getting paid work as an artist, <laughs> and so you know we, we stopped. And I think rea- the realities of what it meant to be an indie artist or indie creator were starting to set in. So we did try pitching that initial uh, concrete, concrete Martians. We we got some uh, a small print run of like the 15 pages, and um, I think added a couple extra pages to it and tried to get it, you know, uh, show it around at the conventions and try to sell, you know, for a dollar something and. It, it just—I think at that time I, I wasn't wasn't quite there. Uh, so did Concrete Martians remain unfinished, or? Well, then what happened was this. Then in the meantime, I, I did uh, my first comic book called Bitby. I was, it was, uh, I was hired to, to draw this uh, robot that would help kids or whatever. It was cute, and and so um, I was like, okay, so this is what it would take. Like, this is how much money it would cost for me to do this. So I actually, you know, it was getting a much better understanding of the business aspect of it. And I think once I had that experience, like I was Mitch was still interested in doing concrete Martians. He actually even approached uh, approached me about saltwater. and I'm like, well let's focus on concrete Martians for now. Like I really want to get this done, and then we can visit saltwater if we still want to do that next. And so we decided, we're like, well, how are we going to get this thing funded right? Like I can't afford to work on this. Just you know, when I have all this other work, and you can't afford to pay me uh, to do this, so what do we do? And we're like, well, this is when Kickstarter or Indigo the you know fundraising, uh, started coming becoming popular. Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding. And so we we decided, well, we, if we get the backing of the town, and um, you know, just just take the pages we'd already started and um, show them around and, and put this campaign together let's see if we can actually raise funds for it and that's exactly what we did and so we we uh, because it is a it really wasn't necessarily going to be a, a two-page comic but it was going to be about like 50 to 60 pages so we're like let's just break this up into two parts and um, we did the that first comic book uh, and got the funding and um, once we once we got it printed and we, we were like wow people really like this this is because it's real and, and there's a fascination with War of the Worlds and all that kind of stuff so we're like well we have to do the second one so we, we did a, um, a fundraiser for the second one as well and got the funding for that nice. so that's kind of how my my indie uh, started cool and then right after that did you go right into Saltwater? no um, so we uh, I mean in between that I, I worked on uh, had my children's book I did with my mom um, I did a a, a series uh, called The Arcane Awakening uh, the from Mess Bucket Comics. Um, so I I kind of did some other things as well and I was doing other uh, art jobs as well so um, I think we took after Concrete Martians we may have taken a bit of a break um, but we did start going to conventions together we went to Emerald City and we um, introduced uh, both issues there and uh, you know actually I don't think we took that much of a break between Concrete Martians Part 2 and Saltwater but um, uh, we we had to figure out well, how were we going to keep on doing this? And so we we actually got private funding for issue one saltwater. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Just somebody who really liked the idea and wanted to back it, basically. Pretty much. I mean, yes. yeah. I mean, it was it was I, I um, had a connection, and that person really believed in what I was doing and wanted to help. So. Um, you know, I mean, I, well, I'm not going into specifics yeah, of it, but for the most part uh, that's pretty much what happened. Nice. Yeah. So so Saltwater, what I know about it is it's like a modern
1: day Mars colony story, but they've been cut off from Earth yep. since the 60s, so all the technology and everything like that is stuck in the 60s kind of thing, like that's
0: the era? Yeah, exactly. So it's that idea of uh, what would a colony look like uh, if, if we had the technology created in, in the 40s and 50s and actually uh, because of what we did with concrete Martians where we had this idea of like people thinking Martians were really attacking, we uh, were like, well, what would happen if, if the you know world actually did something because of that? And so I think my thinking was like, yeah, salt, salt water then is kind of loosely based off of the idea of concrete Martians, and that the, the, all the um, governments of the world, you know, uh, get into space race uh, much earlier than they actually did. They all work together to do it, and they actually got a colony on Mars in the fifties. And so it's these people that, that you know what would that look like uh, at that time in the 50s and then they get cut off from the earth in the 60s and keep on they, they survive right. and they just have to recycle what they have so because the story takes place now I had to evolve what I thought the their, their uniforms would look like and, and what the recycled uh, technology would look like so it's even like if you look at the first 10 pages where you see it's almost like a infomercial of like, go to go to Mars, that kind of thing. And that's the, the uniforms they're wearing and what uh, the interiors that they, they um, are in are the original, what the original colony looked like. And then the, the current, it, when it jumps ahead uh, to modern times, you can see things are a little bit more beaten up and their uniforms are a little bit different, but they still stylistically look like, you know, they wouldn't know what people's, how people's hairstyles would change, right? They had no reference for it. So, so they were
1: like creating new things, or the stuff that they have is kind of old.
0: Like it's, it's yeah. old technology in modern in modern times. So. Pretty much, and 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 so you know you have to take a bit of a, a leap there when it when it comes to like, you know, um, obviously uh, these are very smart people that were able to kind of invent from what they already had. Right, they had to be very inventive. Um, but we purposely didn't want to make it look like post apocalyptic, right? Because we wanted to Give it that that almost like the forgotten planet type look, but, uh, forbidden planet, forbidden planet like look, but, um, at the same time, it is post apocalyptic in a way. So, but you'll have to read, you know, like if you read the story, you'll find out, like, what happened to Earth and what that looks like. They're trying to figure it out, like, that, like, if
1: if you read it and stuff, like, it's like their old technology married with, like, the current time and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, so then so then you're doing that, you're doing salt water and that sort of thing. And then you said that like around like the gap between concrete marshals to salt water, you're working with your mom and stuff. What was that like? Like that's sort of unique. Like I've
0: never thought of working on a project with my mom. <laughs> uh, she, she had just retired. Um, she's always been a writer. She did poetry. And I always thought her poems were very visually in- interesting. And so I'd always had the idea that I would maybe do some illustrations uh, of her poems Um, and so when she retired I I kind of I just didn't want her to, to like sit and watch TV all the time I mean she's she's proactive but I just had the feeling like she would she she didn't really I didn't know if she would I wanted her to to, to write I thought that that uh, there was something that she should have always done but she'd always kind of put that on the side and so I thought well what can we do that would kind of help her get into that and and I thought well children's books would be uh, a kind of natural way to to. Uh, Married, the the, what we you know like to to do what I like to do and then to kind of uh, take her poems and and turn it into a story. So Um, these were these were poems that she already had. No, no, this is this was uh, we 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 thought about that, um, but ultimately she didn't want to do something that limited me. I think she wanted to uh, do something where I can use my imagination. And as I said, I think some of her visual uh, narrative is is really. Uh, it's mind-bending in some ways. It's really interesting. So I... I was really, we, we decided to, to kind of uh, take the best of both worlds, which was create something completely new uh, so she can she could really um, use her imagination and then I can really use my imagination. Right. And that's how uh, the Up in the Sky series yeah. came about. That's awesome. So what is it about basically? Uh, it's about these kids that live on a planet named Up in the Sky and each book they learn a new lesson. It's not heavy handed, uh, we try not to be heavy handed. In the, the moral of it but um, it's there's definitely something they learn from from what they go through and um, we've done three books and we just uh, we're planning a fourth one right now and these are independently published as well yeah they're they're into indip- again the same I think because of uh, concrete Martians and um, saltwater and, and things like that I started understanding the indie business quite well I understood the printing aspect of it I understood uh, you Know, like the the marketing of it, uh, you know. I, I knew I could sell the books at conventions, Right. and uh, I did. We weren't familiar with the the children's book market so much. I was more familiar with the comic book market. So in the comic book world, you can create something with a team, and you know, oftentimes publishers will go, "Great, we, we want to pick it up," and either they'll they'll uh, help you with the publishing or what have you. But in the children's book market. They don't want you with a team, they want to either have the illustrator to match up with their writer or the writer to match up with an illustrator. And so we we didn't really know what we were doing. We just decided to do like the first book, we are like, we well, use the book as a portfolio to get into publishers and we learned that that was probably not the best way to go about it. But um, we also learned that we could sell the book on our own and I think we decided after the first book, we weren't really getting, uh, we were getting interested from publishers, but it was kind of like things, the the publishers that we were meeting, uh, we we were able to do what they were offering. So it was like, well, why, why would we lose profit if, if we can do the same thing. Uh, it was the, It's the bigger publishers that we'd be interested in, but they don't want to necessarily have like a, a team, right? Um, and so that was our conundrum. Uh, so we just said, you know what, let's just keep on self-publishing, and um, we enjoyed the process um, and we, we do
1: pretty well with it. So how was it working with your mom? You obviously have a pretty good relationship. Did she yeah. always
0: want to do books? No, i don't know if i I don't know if she ever imagined herself as a children's book author but um, probably books like novels or things like that Um, but uh, she'd always written she'd always written short stories right pretty good it's awesome to have
1: such a creative family i mean writers photographers i mean it's like a whole family business you
0: know well yeah i mean actually it is uh My wife and I still own our, our studio that we—it's uh, it's been running now for ten years, and you know she's she's uh, more busy than she's ever been, uh, and uh, same with <laughs> myself. So you know uh, I think that uh, you know we are we're, we're we've kept at it. That right. if, if there's anything I can tell people to, you know, who are who are trying to get into any creative field is you just have to keep at it. Right. What about uh, Pluvius Dream? What was that? How did that happen? Uh, so, Ben Grisanti is the creator, the writer. Uh, I'd met him uh, a few years ago uh, via the convention circuit. Uh, he had uh, actually met him uh, when he was doing insurance with Mike Alvarez. And uh, I thought, you know, they had a nice setup. Uh, you know, they seemed to. Kind of be similar to what I was working on, and so uh,
1: insurance being a
0: story. He insurance was a, sorry. Insurance yeah. is their comic book. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, I mean, Ben's done some other things too, but that was what I had seen him and, and Mike uh, mainly uh, doing. And so, you know, I just I would talk to him at shows, and, uh, and I'd, we would buy each other's stuff. And over a year ago, Ben um, put out a uh, um, something on Facebook saying he was looking for comic book artists for all different projects he was working on and I had, I think I had finished up maybe first issue of Saltwater and I, I, I basically had a, I had time in my schedule to work on a new project and so I'm like oh this is fortuitous and he the, the project he was pitching uh, was something that I was like oh this sounds pretty cool uh, but then he's like oh, I think I have something else that you'd be better for I'm like okay and, and so it's Polybius Dreams and it was. I, I, I mean really I think he, he he got me right away I think he understood where my strengths were which was character development and um you know, uh, creating creating a really realistic kind of world, and so *Plutonia's uh, Dreams* has definitely been it's been a great uh, series to work on. And it's 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 four parts. We uh, it's initially he wanted to do it as a full graphic novel, but the realities of, of the publishing world, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, you kind of have to break these things up. So we've broken it up into four parts. We just got uh, funding for uh, part two, um, and uh i don't i'm i'll be working on that uh actually starting within the week or so uh, i've already started working on part 2 but i'll be working on that um, much more focused uh next uh week and
1: was i right in my introduction was it is it basically like this like weird horror video game situation like what 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 is A the screen
0: it's it, it no you, you did i mean it the, the focus i i kind of see the um, uh the video game is almost like a MacGuffin it's, it, it helps drive the story. It's really about these uh, these kids, uh, Mike, Pat, and Paul, and and how their innocence kind of gets corrupted, and we actually see this happen in a, in real time almost. And so. Um, um, I, I, it, to me uh, it's really uh, you know that it takes place in a small town in the mid 80s in upstate New York So there's some familiarity for me because I grew up in, in New Jersey around that time um, So I know these kinds of kids. I know this kind of town and uh, I like I, I think because I'm witnessing these characters changing, that's the exciting part for me. Is i because I'm I'm actually uh, learning how these characters uh, uh, what they're going through as I'm drawing it. Um, but it is a horror story. It's a slow burn horror story, psychological horror story about these kids losing their innocence, uh, and the video game is is really what uh, starts corrupting the town.
1: Right, like the arcade game starts like invading their dreams means
0: right yeah, like main yeah. on elm street yeah style. exactly yeah, yeah sure.
1: okay and, and inside the video game, there's like evil
0: stuff or something like that. Well, we, we don't know exactly what what it is, oh, but okay. it's, it's, it's definitely changing. Anybody who plays the video game definitely gets corrupted by it. So um, it's
1: sort of like this is really cool because it's sort of what's really popular now. Like you got your Stranger Things, you got your kid, yeah. which is sort of taking place around that time. Those sorts of kids, that sort of town, the whole loss of innocence thing. Yeah. Plus you got aspects of like things like the ring where if you watch yep. a video it like corrupts you and that sort of thing so like you're hitting on like the
0: pop culture zeitgeist at this time so yeah. by accident right? And I think that's how it should happen. Yeah, Ben had actually written this story I think years prior and so it it's one of those things where you're making the <laughs> comparison to Stranger Things but we had actually started working on this before Stranger Things came out. Right and Stranger you know? Things
1: itself is its own take yeah. On 80s movies. Stephen yeah. King. Wes Craven. Yeah. The sorts of things. Creepies and all that could stuff. Yeah. It f- comes from right. Like it's that's obviously yeah. an inspiration. Wes Craven. Yes. With The Nightmare on Elm Street. Stephen King with The Small Town Lost Innocence. I mean, it was a book yeah. before it was a movie. Yeah. So you know you can definitely take uh, your inspiration from the same source material as Stranger Things does for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ben. Ben. He's an auteur of, of like horror movies i okay things like that indie movies so he he video dream video Drome is uh, a huge inspiration um uh, there's a, some there's a bunch of other things that he he's uh definitely inspired him to do this story um but uh yeah i mean we it's 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 kind of scratches an itch i have um you know when if you compare like uh that with salt water with up in the sky that they're all very different totally totally different so right but there's like still like a on.
1: retro time period with
0: that like you have like the 60s with the yeah. salt water and you have the 80s with yeah Obvious Dreams. it's I, interesting I, I do like I do like things where I get to do research yeah um, I'm actually I'm doing something else uh, with uh, Connor McCreary uh, of Kill Shakespeare fame uh, that takes place in the 70s in, in Miami yeah. so you know I mean right I, around like the drug yeah uh, exactly the, the beginning of the cocaine now, yeah Scarface uh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah exactly Exactly. so there is something I do like that that uh, aspect to creating a world is if I can like research that right awesome that's so awesome cool
1: so you mentioned off the top that you had news about this sort of stuff are you still working on saltwater
0: while you're working on Polybius dreams like what's what are the latest updates okay so um, right now I'm I, we just got funding for Streams. dreams uh, I'll be working on that one for the next month or so I just found out we got funding for saltwater issue number three so that's going to go ahead uh, probably sometime early next year once I wrap up Polybius dreams I'll probably start working on saltwater and then I just found out uh, I'm probably going to start working on the fourth children's book on a planet named up in the sky or the up in the sky series and that'll be uh, most likely mid next year Um, I'm also so while I'm working on Polybius dreams I also have a couple other projects I'm working on another story for Toronto Comics Anthology. Um, Who are you paired with? Uh, Peter, I'm going to butcher his last name. Do you know Peter? Peter... Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I'm butchering his last name. Uh, I apologize, Peter. Um, but it, uh, he, he worked on, I think he worked on like Strange Stranger Love or Hogtown Par, one of those anthology oh, books. Oh, cool, yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, so he has a story uh, that I loved. It's very comedic, um, and so we're we're doing that. Um, and then um, I have uh, a comic book I work on with uh, a 13 year old called Weapon Warriors. 13 oh, year old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, initially, just more or less me uh, teaching him how to create comics. His father uh, found me at a convention, I, I imagine, and uh, contacted me to, to like you know show his son how. he had written a story and he wanted it turned into a comic book so I taught him how to do that but really you know at at some point we're like well why don't we just do this as a comic book and is his father funding it yep that's awesome yeah I mean it's been really we did an issue uh, last year or over the last couple years and I mean it's been pretty well received when I go to conventions uh, anytime I say a 13 year old wrote it you get like the young you know kids that age going oh really and they they want to look at it and so I mean it's it's, it's written by a thirteen-year-old. Wait, right? it's called Weapon. Warriors. Weapon Warriors. It, it's. I, I've been told it's kind of like comparable to Ninjago. Uh. Uh, it's it's these ninjas that have elemental weapons and they're fighting each other uh, to help one side's good, one side's bad and uh, the first issue kind of introduces the main characters and we're just starting work on the second issue which is going to introduce the rest of the characters um, I imagine uh, they're all going to eventually turn into these two teams and fight each other uh, so wow uh, you guys are busy like I mean you're packed your schedule's packed you got yeah. all these collaborators you got all this funding
1: some of it's private funding some of it's Kickstarter funding yep. I mean did you ever imagine that your career would be at the place that it is now like is this exactly what you
0: wanted to do when you decided to recommit yourself to comic books? Uh, yes and no. I, I knew that I would be creating comics or art. Uh, I've always had that. Um, I knew that I would, if you just keep on doing it, I knew that that it wouldn't be like uh, out of my life in any way. Like, right. I didn't know what capacity I would be doing it at. Uh, initially, I was like, oh, I'm going to break into Marvel uh, or DC or something like that. And I think the realities of that uh, quite quickly made me realize that number one my level of uh, skill level wasn't really there for that number and even th- if it was it wasn't really what they're looking for like the style. yeah yeah exactly I, I have more of a like an old-school style or uh, more of a cartoony style sometimes so I don't know I mean I, I guess I, I at some point, I just realized that the other thing, too, is when I would draw, like, sample pages uh, of these other characters, uh, but my the one critique I got back was, like, well, I, you know, like, I just, I'm looking at some stuff that you drew from your imagination, and I'm looking at stuff of characters that, you know, exist, and I kind of like the stuff that you drew from your imagination better. Right. Right? And I'm going, okay, so maybe there's something to that. And that that slowly made me realize that when you're passionate about something, that passion shows through, and and so I decided just to really focus on things that I, I was more passionate about. I guess when I say passionate, I meant I just had more freedom. Right. I just felt unrestricted. Yeah, I mean, working from Marvel to DC isn't it all this tracked out to be anyway, because so many of those
1: creators want to create their own piece themselves, Yeah. right? Like they want yeah. their own series, they're doing their own stuff for image and stuff like that. So, I mean, for sure, like having your own stuff means you own it. Yep. you control the direction of it so you're actually in a better position arguably
0: yeah and I think that kind of the, the realities of the business aspects of it uh, when I found out how much uh, some of these artists were paid and I'm going well I'm getting paid more like I'm getting I have a better I get to I get paid more plus I get to sell it and I get profit from that too so right. you know like when I when I started realizing that the business part of it was better for me when I have the freedom to, to create it on my on my own, and sell it, and I'm fairly good at selling it. That um, it made more sense, uh, both creatively and financially, for me to keep on going in that direction. Uh, and then, you know, over time, I just kind of let go of the idea that I would eventually break into Marvel. Like, it, initially, it was like, okay, maybe I'll break into Marvel and DC. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll break into Marvel and DC through my own creator owned stuff. And then I was, then I'll just do my own creator owned stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that if Marvel or DC was at some point if they said, hey, I really, you know, an editor liked what I was doing and they had some idea for a story that I could do, I would, I would definitely, that would be awesome, right? right exactly. But, um, I'm, I'm much more satisfied, uh, initially, uh, doing my own stuff and, um, yeah, so, I, to answer your question, I always knew I would be drawing, I just didn't know exactly in what capacity. But it
1: must be quite thrilling to be actually making your living through comics. Yeah. You know, fully, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, this this year has been a pretty good year, and next year, I mean, I, as I said, I'm pretty much booked out till like half half the year, right? Um, and that's pretty exciting. And I have projects that you know hopefully will come to fruition. That may mean I'm booked out for, for the whole 2018. Um, you know, my my one thing I would love to do, uh, and I know the battery's getting low, so we can we can wrap this up. But sure. uh, uh, my goal at some point is that once some of these projects wrap up I'll have the ability to work on something I write write and draw Um, I'm potentially going to be doing a short story for the Jewish Comics Anthology Volume 2 that's doing a Kickstarter right now Uh, I have a a story called Stone Soup that I'm doing for them but I I, I'm going to write that and and draw it and it's going to be about six pages but I would really love to do like a graphic novel um, that I I fully do on my own so that's kind of where I'm, I'm Going that's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. So how can people follow you? Uh, follow your career? What's your handles on social media? Where can people
0: go to find more about uh, Keith Gratchow? Okay, so I, I have a website kgrachow.com. So it's K-G-R-A-C-H-O-W.com or you can just google my name Keith Gratchow and I'm sure it'll come up. Um, I mainly uh, use Facebook, though, honestly. I like, I like, I, it's, I seem to, to do really well with Facebook, so you can just, Keith Gratchow, just find me on Facebook and, and follow me or friend me or whatever. I mainly use that for my art. Uh, I don't really put a huge amount of personal stuff on it, so it's it's either going to be art related or beer related. <laughs> um, and, and the same thing with Instagram. I, I like using Instagram, so that's uh, Keith Gratchow as uh, And you're as well. into craft beer? Yeah, I love craft beer. Uh, actually, just one of the things, one of my bucket list, uh, uh just one of the things in my bucket list just got crossed off, which is working for uh, a craft beer, uh, a craft brewery doing a label for one of their cans. My girlfriend, that's her dream. Yeah. She
1: wants to do a label for yeah. a can. So if you have a connection and you're looking <laughs> for
0: things, that would be like an amazing Oh, Collective Arts, for her. Collective sure. Arts uh, Brewery in Hamilton, uh, they, they take artists all the time. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So she should look into that. Yeah, totally.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, man. This has been oh, amazing. Yeah,
0: appreciate it.
1: And uh, we'll take some photos and uh, hang out for a bit more. But uh, this has been a great breakfast. And uh, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.